Too many who know the angles Uncover and untangle All the questions and the webs left out to tangle be in I'm Dapper Dan Gavazdan, and I own every issue of Amazing Spider-Man, including the annuals, which definitely count. And I'm Mischievous Marchinacchio, and I own every issue of Amazing Spider-Man, including the annuals, including the annuals that retcon stuff, and they still don't count. <laughs> well, thanks, everybody, for joining us for our Beyond Amazing celebration of Spidey's 60th anniversary on the Amazing Spider Talk, the show where two fans and collectors uncover the strange, fun, and fascinating history of the Spider-Man comic universe. Mark, I will say there are some annuals that have been retconned themselves, like uh, Annual 5 or Annual 20. Right, and they still don't count. And, and you, we, you can find out why they don't count by swinging along with us on our journey through Spidey's past, present, and future and subscribing to Amazing Spider Talk on your favorite podcast app. That's because every other week, we put out a mainline episode of our flagship show and sprinkled in between, we review new comics as well as interview some of the greatest Spider-Man creators of yesterday and today. This is the perfect time to start listening. And I'll be quick on this, Mark. If you are a new listener, you might want to check out our amazing Spider Talk back issues feed. This is where all of our older episodes go to not die, be born again in the new feed. And it's got some great interviews with like creators from some of the earlier years of our show. I think right now it's got basically like the first year and a half that you and I were podcasting over on the amazing spider talk back issues feed. Also, you know, even if you're not new, you've never listened to those episodes. Like some of our best coverage is on there. You're a fan of like coming home. We cover coming home on there. You know, like there's just a lot of really great content that, you know, Mark, maybe you and I should revisit from time to time. But anyway, Amazing Spider Talk back issues over on Apple Podcasts. Unfortunately, it's only available on Apple Podcasts. Go on over there. Leave us a review. We need all your reviews to to make the podcast known about. But yes, Amazing Spider Talk back issues. Another great feed for you guys to follow. Mark, what are we doing today on the show? Yeah, I mean, looking forward, we're going to be continuing our Beyond Amazing celebration of Spider-Man's first appearance in Amazing Fantasy number 15 60 years ago. With each episode of this series, we are going to be taking a very specific lens and applying it to the history of the character. In this episode, we are peeling back the corners of Amazing Fantasy number 15, hoping that we don't damage it enough that the CGC will notice, because hidden within the comic are a ton of retcons. That's right. Mark and I are going to be taking a look at all the times that Amazing Fantasy 15 has been retconned over the years, proving that nothing is sacred and that everyone wants a piece of that Steve Ditko Stan Lee pie. That's right. If you want to read along with us, Dan and I are going to be discussing the following issues. Amazing Fantasy number 15. 
Amazing Spider-Man, negative one. Amazing Spider-Man, 2655. Amazing Spider-Man, volume two, number 32 and 38. Amazing Spider-Man, volume three, number four. Amazing Spider-Man, volume four, number 1.4. Amazing Spider-Man, annual, number 25. Spider-Man versus Wolverine. Amazing Spider-Man Parallel Lives, the graphic novel. And of course, my all-time favorite, Marvel 2-in-1 Annual number 2. But wait, there's more. Web Spinners, Tale of Spider-Man number 12. Spectacular Spider-Man number 60 and 189. Alias number 22. Spider-Man Chapter 1. And Amazing Fantasy Volume 2 number 15. Man, that's a lot of comics. That's a lot to ask of our listeners to, to read through, but read through them, right? I mean, if you want, you know, we'll mention them here, but, uh, you know, it's nice to have a list up at the front to know what you can check out if you are curious about any of the things that we're talking about today. So let's talk about what we're going to talk about today, Mark. Like we, you mentioned this to me as an idea for an episode and I thought it would be really fun. I agree with you like straight away, which is like retcons of amazing fantasy 15. Like, why did you want to do this? And like, tell us like, what are, what exactly are we talking about when we say retconning amazing fantasy 15? Well, I, I, I think what we're talking about. So let me let me actually preface this by saying that part of this topic was inspired by a tweet by Dan, from Dan Slott, of course, Spider-Man writer of years and years and years. And, and Dan Slott tweeted out. I don't know if this was months or years ago. It's, it's time's a flat circle. He writes, humor <laughs> me. Outside of Uncle Ben dying, Peter Parker graduating from high school, Captain Stacy, Captain Stacy dying, Gwen Stacy dying, and Peter graduating from college. Name anything from Peter Parker's "quote unquote" advancing status quo that stuck. And you know that got me thinking. Like, yeah, that's right. They haven't brought some of these characters back. They never brought uh, Uncle Ben back, and Gwen Stacy is dead, even though she's got clones. Amazing Fantasy 15, of course, is considered, you know, the, the crown jewel of origin stories. It, it, it's pretty much unimpeachable in its perfection in terms of storytelling in a very compact form. It's, it's a beautiful thing. And yet, if we go through the pages of Spider-Man comics over the years, the events of that have been retroactively changed many times over over the years. And, you know, I, I, I just felt like what better time than the 60th anniversary to kind of dive into that and go over some of the more significant changes um, that have happened and maybe some of the more continuity error, funny changes that have happened over the years. I feel like this is a pretty thorough list. I'm sure there are going to be others that people want to talk about. These are the highlights for us for sure, right? Yeah, and I had a lot of fun kind of digging through some things or like following loose tangents of thoughts that I had. Like, wait a minute, I thought there was a story about this and trying to like track it down the best I could. But I did want to clarify, like the retcons that we're going to be talking about here are things that affect the core Amazing Spider-Man timeline, right? We're not interested in different imprints like Spider-Man with great power or ultimate Spider-Man things that like retell the origin story. We've already done episodes on those books, you know, all the way back in season one, we did an episode on retelling the origin story. We're talking about things that like affect the core Spider-Man timeline 
as it pertains to Amazing Fantasy 15. So, you know, maybe the best way to illustrate this is just to kind of get started, right? So, Mark, the first comic we're going to be talking about and the first retcon we're going to be talking about is Amazing Spider-Man number 200 from 1980. Why don't you tell us a little bit about this one? We've talked about it a lot in recent and over the history of our show, but if, if you're just joining us for the first time, Mark, what does Amazing Spider-Man 200 do to change Amazing Fantasy 15? Yeah, I mean, we actually talked about this in our characters from Amazing Fantasy 15 episode a few weeks back, but let's let's revisit it here because in this episode, excuse me, in this issue, the, the, the change in question is we learn in this issue that Uncle Ben and Aunt May's home was actually targeted specifically by the burglar, meaning that he wasn't just some random guy Spider-Man let run by who then coincidentally went on to kill his Uncle Ben. So it, it, it kind of you know, changes the the whole this could happen to anyone thing and in, in, in making Ben and May a, a target of this guy and that he was going to go to their house anyway and probably kill them if they didn't comply with what he was looking for, which turned out to be the buried treasure of somebody <laughs> in the floorboards <laughs> of, of their Forest Hill homes. That's a pretty good summation of it. And, you know, we've talked about this before, but it's not a favorite of ours. You know, I think Amazing Spider-Man 200 is a fine comic and there's nothing wrong with this change. I just don't think it's necessary, you know, to have it happen. And it doesn't take away a ton from Amazing Fantasy 15, but it doesn't add much that I think really improves the story in any way. It it just kind of makes it almost like more akin to the... Uh, like this kind of thing was fated to happen. And I think anytime you get like fate kind of intermingling with Spider-Man, it kind of lessens the specialness of the character and put a pin in me saying that because I might contradict myself in a few minutes, but uh, that's kind of always how this wrinkled with me. It was like, well, like to have it so specifically targeted Peter's role in his uncle's death is kind of minimized in a way. Yeah, I mean, I would say that like the the impact of this retcon is really as big or small as you you as the reader want it to be. I think this is one of those uh, retcons where like the more you think about it and the more threads you pull out of it, the more challenging it becomes to accept as truth. I mean, like, you know, there's things like, okay, so. Why was the burglar in Madison Square Garden if and trying to pull off a heist if he knew he was going to have to go to Forest Hills later? And then, like, <laughs> you know, what, what, would, would, would it have even mattered that Peter didn't stop him if he was just going to go on to Forest Hills and, and, and raid his uncle's house anyway? You know, I also feel like, you know, giving, giving the burglar a true motive and, and kind of, you know, almost giving him a character, basically... I feel this is on par with like Joe Chill from the Batman comics being like named the murderer of the Wayne family. It's it just adds it takes away from the the randomness of the whole thing, which I think is part of the appeal and allure of Spider-Man. Just the fact that it, it really is could be anyone under the suit, could be anyone committing these crimes that that brings Spider-Man out. I don't know. Like you said, it's it does it really impact things? I don't know. It's just it's just about how much you want to fixate on these things, I guess. You know, there are some people who want to fixate on it and they're going to hate it, others less so. What it, like it sounds like you're kind of in between that. 
Yeah, I, I, I hang around that area. It's like I don't think about it very often. And, and that's to say it's not an essential part of the story to me. You know, and right, like you said, the more the more you stare at it, the more you start thinking things like, well, if the treasure, you know, if they didn't know about the treasure buried in the basement, the minute he got out of jail, he would have returned to the house anyway to get the treasure. So, like, really, if Spider-Man stopped the burglar earlier, he would have just bought Uncle Ben whatever New York State's prison you know time was you know so it's it you know it's but that's an absurd thing to think about comics but you know uh it, it is what it is one of the things i think we should do as we go through these is kind of like talk about like how offensive these retcons are like do we like them do you know do we not like them so what do you think like what's our scale here mark uh if you had to come up with a quick retcon scale I mean, like on a scale of one to five, I would probably give this one a three personally, because like like you said, it, it it's as it's as bad as you want to stare at it for. But like it's ultimately not that bad. But I personally don't like this recon at all. I, I, I kind of hate it, but I also recognize it's not the most offensive thing to ever happen. So I put it right in the middle. Wait, but three doesn't really help me determine anything because like what is one bad? Is five bad? Oh, is five sorry. the worst? Five is the worst. Three is, uh, you know, one is, one is the least offensive. Five is the most offensive. So, you know, okay. three, three, Fair three enough. smack dab in the middle. Okay. So let's move on to the next one then. Cause like, I think I would also give it, give it a three as well. The next one is Spider-Man versus Wolverine's graphic novel. 1986 a few years later what's special about this one mark in terms of retconning amazing fantasy 15 because you know when you read this comic on the surface there's not really anything to do with amazing fantasy 15 in here absolutely not but like this is okay this is one of my favorite discoveries that i made when writing 100 things spider-man's fans should know and do before they die which was you know we we had talked about this with with ron friends uh multiple times kind of the the mangling of the infamous quote uh with great power there must also come great responsibility and the other element that that has been mangled over the years is this association with uncle ben you know like these were like uncle ben's sage words because if you go back to the original panel of you know the, the last panel of amazing fantasy 15 it wasn't like words that uncle ben said to him it was just you know spider-man kind of you know sulking off into the night you know you know defeated from realizing that it was his mistake that led to his uncle's death and it was like and and as a reminder with great power must also come great responsibility it's kind of i mean if anything it's stan lee the omniscient narrator who says it not any specific person in in peter's life so I, I, I went on a deep dive, like, where did this start that it got started getting associated with Uncle Ben? And that is in the pages of Spider-Man versus Wolverine. I mean, it's kind of, you know, Peter, Peter having a flashback and having to decide, you know, what, what is the right thing to do here to stay in Germany when with all this stuff going wrong and, and, and help Wolverine or, or to kind of go on his merry way. And he's like, well... It's it's like what Uncle Ben always said. And, you know, he also mangles the quote with great power. Also, uh, with great power comes great responsibility, which is where you can kind of credit where that gets butchered from <laughs> to, to, to Ron <laughs> Friends' chagrin. With all that said, it's a retcon for sure. Is it an important retcon? I think it's super important. I mean, especially, you know, all the places that quote go on to like uh, show up um, now. I, I don't mean to contradict you, but for, if before someone sends us an email about it, I do know that Uncle Ben says that quote in the rock comic 
album before this. This so this is really the first time on the page that it happens. But I think that that's probably this was better read than the than the rock comic. You know, I I do think that this is probably the one. And you know, the comic creators would take this and replicate it endlessly over the years. So like for me, this is a really important one because it's become, you know, a bedrock of the character that his uncle Ben said this to him, you know, not just that it's a mantra that he lives by. And so like, for me, this is like, this is like formative, you know, without this, you know, is the character as popular today as uh, he's become without that kind of great, you know, adage that he lives by. So look, he may have butchered it. And so did many other people in the time since. But uh, I, I think we do owe Owsley, you know, like something really important here. Definitely a formidable retcon, but also I think, frankly, it's a good retcon. I think, I, you know, to me, it makes sense to apply the lesson to Uncle Ben. I mean, it, it kind of adds some weight and gravitas to Ben as this influential character. It's 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 more of a, you know, more of a, a showing instead of telling in terms of Ben and, and his impact on Peter that like, you know, he would say these words and then these words would come back to him uh, at the very end. So like, you know, yeah, no one wants to see the great Amazing Fantasy number 15 get retconned because, you know, it's sacred text, but... I, I happen to think this is a good change. I don't know. Like, do you do you want to do you want to put it on a scale, or do you want to fight me on that first, or uh, are you in agreement? <laughs> no, this is a one on our scale. Uh, so that means like good or doesn't bother me. Like, if there was a negative numbering on the scale, I would give it a negative five. Like, this is like a really good thing. Yeah. All right. Well. So the next one that we're going to talk about in terms of retcons, I, I almost feel like this is more confusing than offensive. I don't know. Let me let me let me <laughs> let me uh, set it up here. So this is from the Parallel Lives graphic novel from 1989, which was uh, written by uh, Jerry Conway with art by Alex Saviak. In this story, they introduce the fact that Mary Jane Watson was actually next door to Ben and Aunt May. The, the night that Amazing Fantasy 15 happened and she actually witnessed Peter go into the house and then come out of his bedroom dressed as Spider-Man. So she knew from night one that he was Spider-Man. So it, this is it's kind of muddy because it's like, well, is it a retcon or is it an embellishment of the story? I don't know. But either way, like I feel like. It's certainly a retcon of Mary Jane that we would learn afterwards. And it's it, it, it does have a pretty it feels like it has a bigger impact than maybe it does. I don't know. Like what, what's, what's your take on this whole thing? Well, I don't know. I mean like the impact on the comics, like you, like this book kind of came out around the same time that Mary Jane would kind of like officially acknowledge Spider-Man's secret identity in the pages of the comic. So there's not many comics that really like reflect the impact of this change by Jerry Conway. So it's hard to really say that I think about this all the time. I think every time that I reread the, you know, Stanley, Jerry Conway, like all of that runs pre DeFalco friends. I think about this in every interaction that they have, like, does this retcon make any sense? And, uh, you know, does it work in the context of, you know, the story and, 
for me, it doesn't really make any sense that Mary Jane would act this way. Like I really like the parallel lives graphic novel. I think Jerry Conway did this about as artfully as he could. And he does really go out of his way to make it make sense within the early Stan Lee, Steve Ditko, amazing Fantasy 15 timeline. And like all that we learn about Mary Jane and her aunt, her, her aunt Anna in the you know weeks or months that follow it's it's the kind of thing that like it doesn't really make sense that Mary Jane would keep this ruse up for so long you know especially given how she acts when she hangs out with Peter but she's also kind of putting on a show so if there's any character you could pull off a retcon with like this it's probably Mary Jane but I still don't know that I buy it yeah I think that's a that's a very fair way to assess it I mean like for me, I mean, agreed 100% with everything you said about Parallel Lives. I actually really like this story a lot, but it just doesn't it just doesn't track. And I also feel like it's one of those changes that's done. And, and this might be actually the first instance of that to kind of like elevate MJ as like a like a core character almost from the Dicko era when we know she's specifically not I mean like okay we, we her she is facelessly introduced during the Dicko era but she's not a she's not a core character by any stretch you know in in different media or different universes or iterations of Spider-Man they kind of you know they they have went on to kind of retcon MJ as like you know she's she's there from the beginning you know and that's just not the case I, I kind of like the fact that she is a character that joined an evolving cast and became as important and part of Spider-Man's core cast. It doesn't always have to be everything from the beginning to be important, in my opinion. Doing this in an attempt to kind of strengthen her maybe actually cheapens her because, it, it, it like you said, it, it, it can't be explained away based on all the other interactions that we know from her. So it's not the most offensive thing I've ever seen, but like I give this a four just because I feel like you can't explain it away if you really look hard at it. That that that's my grade of it. I don't know if you want to talk further to it or just go right to your grade. Yeah, I'll talk about my grade. I did want to add though that I think like the thing that really cemented this kind of interpretation of Mary Jane's character is Sam Raimi's first Spider-Man film. You know, I think that film is a reflection of this comic, or maybe just writers that were thinking, you know, parallel to each other. Uh, yeah. Uh, but, <laughs> <laughs> but like you know, Mary Jane is this next door neighbor you know, there and they kind of have these parallel stories, you know, in that like she's from, you know, a kind of broken home and Peter's home gets shattered, you know, as the story goes on, you know, she doesn't see him as Spider-Man leaving his window there and make that connection in that movie. But like, other than that, like a lot of the elements of this comic show up in that movie. And I think, you know, a movie that big, you know, with that much pop culture uh, gravity surrounding it, I think really locked in this idea that Mary Jane was core to the cast from the beginning, you know, to the point that you even get like people that write Spider-Man comics and aren't corrected by the editors today that show like MJ and Gwen Stacy in high school with Peter. And, you know, it always wrinkles a little bit, but cause that wasn't, you know, the case. Yeah. I think a four out of five is totally fair on this. It's it, which is not a reflection of my love of the comic. Cause it's a really great, graphic novel it's just a pretty substantial retcon that's hard to really sit with 
This next one, I, I'm looking forward to this conversation for a few minutes here because I think we might have some interesting things to say here, or maybe not. I shouldn't, I shouldn't produce, uh, you know, promote it as such. This is from Amazing Spider-Man, Volume 2, Number 32, from 2001. Of course, the uh, J.M. Straczynski and John Romita Jr. run. This is the introduction of Spider-Totems and questioning, did Peter actually get his powers from a radioactive spider bite or did the spider bite awaken his inherent spider abilities? I will say, like, when I first read this, this was kind of akin to me, like, you know, being in college and, and you know, being, you know, maybe slightly under the influence and talking about, like, Nietzsche and Freud for the first time. Like, you're kind of blown, your mind's kind of blown, but then, like, does it actually make sense what we're talking about here? I don't know, man, but it's really cool to think about it this way. But, I mean, this is a pretty big change. Like, like this, this, this takes away the entire thing of randomness associated with the spider bite and and makes it that this was part of peter's dna basically i mean what what, what do you think of this of this recon i'm just imagining you taking like a bong hit and reading amazing <laughs> spider-man volume two number 32 and whoa man this blew my mind oh man you don't understand that <laughs> The this spider, spider meant to be <laughs> uh. All right. Well, enough of that bit. What do I think about this? You know, it's funny because, you know, we look back on the beginning of the JMS run as like one of the greatest stories of all time, you know, and, you know, there's a lot of people that are like really up, upset now with how the Wells run started off with this big mystery and what's going on with MJ. How dare they? But if you look back at JMS, the story that we hold in such high regard, like I can't even imagine what Twitter would have been like if, if that <laughs> this issue had come out and said the spider, you know, meant to bite Peter and it was all totemic. Like people would have lost their cool. You know, now we look back on it and go, that's great. Now I don't know if everybody agrees about the totem part being great. Cause I think you can enjoy you know, Moreland and all that stuff kind of like abstractly separate from the totems, even though they're really a core part of that. My feelings on this, like have kind of changed over time, which is to say, I think within the JMS run, I really like the totems like, because the way he ends it is very up in the air. You know, he says like, I'm a, 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 a child of both, mysticism and science, right? The end of the coming home arc is him saying like, I'm not pure, right? Which to say like, like the science element of me is really dominant, you know, like uh, you can't take one without the other. And the way the Ezekiel story ends is kind of like, well, Ezekiel might've been wrong and just a crazy person and, or he could have been right. And JMS wrote it that way specifically. And, you know, I think JMS would kind of go back on it a little bit in the other, but the less said about the other, I think the better. <laughs> it's when Dan Slott got his hands on it and made it all very tangible and concrete as like the web of life and destiny and Spider-Verse and like the prime totems and Silk being attracted to Peter. Like that stuff to me just doesn't really belong in a Spider-Man comic. And, and Dan Slott joked about it in my interview with him, you know, saying like, yeah, he understands that maybe they don't belong there, but that's where I really got turned off by this. And there's so many instances of this, like Teresa Parker being Peter's sister. It was introduced in an inconclusive way. That's meant to say like, take it or leave it. 
it's just this one was take it or leave it. And then someone decided let's triple down on this. And that's where it lost me. So that's my feeling about totems is like when they're ambiguous and I get to make a choice about it. Great. When it's like the core tenant of Spider-Man and even this into the Spider-Verse movie chooses to ignore it, which I think is to its benefit. Spider-Totems. Yeah, no, no, that's a that's, <laughs> party on totems. I think that, this entire concept would never have been able to get pulled off if it wasn't for bringing in someone who's basically an outsider at the time to comics and JMS, who also like had like a ton of confidence in, in, you know, what he was doing and just his general abilities. I mean, maybe his, his confidence could be considered overconfidence in time, but like, you know, like you can't, I feel like you can't pull something this big off and be be successful about it too, to the degree that he was. Without just kind of having that 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 chutzpah, if you will, <laughs> um, going into it, so I, I I do want to applaud it. I mean, I also feel like part of the draw with going in this direction, and I don't know if this is considered a positive or a demerit, is like I feel like this this is really done to kind of fuel Moreland as a threat, and and you know, like because like when you then when you start thinking about it, it's a huge change, but like does it really change Peter as a character? Until the other, I guess. You know what I mean? I don't know if it does, you know, because like, because like you said, he, he kind of ends that arc by saying, I'm not pure. I am who I am. You know, like that's, the, you know, you can't define me in terms of one, one subset or the other. Now, interesting enough, after I kind of branded this about as a big retcon, you found another parallel, not a parallel life to it from another story that might have, that might be suggesting that. You know, Spider-Man's powers are not are, are were faded to him, and and what where was that coming from? I mean, Mark, I I hate to admit it, but uh, your favorite comic, uh, Marvel Two in One Annual Number Two, the only uh, annual know, that I, counts. <laughs> I, I'm surprised you didn't pull this one out. It 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 sat there in my brain as kind of like the the impetus for that story, which is in that story, uh, there's these characters, Lord Chaos and Master Order. They kind of like choose Spider-Man as their like champion to, to like defeat Thanos. And so in that comic, they say that they've specifically chosen uh, Parker and orchestrated the events that made him Spider-Man uh, because they had belief in his nobility and quote, strong heart, end quote, that would one day prove vital in a battle against Thanos. So, you know, whether you want to blame the totems or Lord Chaos and Master Order, there was always some cosmic destiny for Spider-Man. I don't know, man. Do we do we choose to keep that one? You didn't even remember it. So I would assume no. I mean, you know, we got to have Jim Starlin on the show one of these days to, to, to talk in length about this, because I'm sure he really probably remembers that. Speaking of probably tossing around a bong and talking about spider-man uh <laughs> sorry <laughs> i'm not accusing anyone of anything all right well let's let's talk specifically about the totems and jms's work in terms of the uh the offensibility uh, offensiveness scale offensibility is that not even a word the offensiveness scale so i'm 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 gonna throw a little bit of a curve here and give this a two because i i'm you know like I, I like this story. I love this story. I think this is one of my favorite stories ever. And I think this is really done well. With that said, like, I just loathe the idea of taking, of putting fate into Spider-Man. So even if it's really well done, I kind of loathe it. So I, I'm going to go to just to be a notch over a one. What about you? 
Oh, I'm really like wrestling with this because I want to give it a four, like the same thing as Parallel Lives, because like that's exactly what you just said is what I said about Parallel Lives, which is like, boy, the execution is so good initially. I can't really square this, although I think the way JMS writes it, it's much easier to square than Mary Jane knew it all along. So I'm going to agree with you. I'm going to give it a two. And it really pains me because like the Spider-Verse stuff, every time I read it, I'm like, this is does not belong in my Spider-Man comics. <laughs> like, even Madam Web has always been like kind of like, oh, like what is this character doing here? Give me a, it depends on the story, two or four. <laughs> okay, fair here. enough. <laughs> All right. Well, in the same vein of uh, we're going to get to our uh, our last retcon of the first half, uh, which is from Amazing Spider-Man Volume 3, number four from 2013. And that is another student named Cindy Moon was bitten by the same radioactive spider that bit Peter and a legend was born. Silk. (laughs) Dan, I mean. What can we say about Silk and the retcon that is this one? Well, I believe we have a whole podcast probably about that from back in the day. And I don't exactly remember what we said at the time, but I imagine it's going to be along the lines of what we say today, which is like, I really don't like this. And I don't want people to come away from this thinking. I don't like the character of Silk. I kind of come around on Silk. Don't love like, that there's a ton of spider people out there in the world. It's just not like one of my favorite things because it takes away from what makes Peter unique. But like Silk has had some fun stories over the years. And I think she operates in a fun kind of YA part of the Spider-Man universe that can bring young female readers into the book. I'm cool with all of that. But that to have the spider bite another person after Peter is the kind of thing that's just so like lazy as a writer. I think like the spider bit someone else. It's, it's the kind of thing like if I were an editor and I'm not so, but like I would laugh that person out of the room. Like I would be like, just try anything else. Like, like, like come up with any other reason to create this character, you know? Um, like, Make it a different spider that bit that bit her or someone who saw the experience or those guys tried to replicate the experiment, those scientists and and they saw the spider and they thought that was interesting. Like you could come up with anything, but like to have the spider bite Peter and then go like, I have one last gasp and I'm going to bite this girl. Like, I don't know, man. It's just it's just so silly and kind of dumb. I, I don't know. It's like the kind of thing I would be like to a writer just try again (laughs) yeah i i mean i i agree wholeheartedly with that i mean i also just don't i don't really get what having this character out there does for spider-man outside of like i mean okay i guess it's another potential love interest although you know dan slot himself admitted that he mishandled that connection you know, it's like you said, it's another spider person, but we have how many spider people out there already and including many females that were really well created and executed. So it's both lazy and I also just don't 
get the point of it. Like it's kind of it's it's a total so what for me. Like and you know I'm I'm glad you've come around on Cindy Moon and I and I get what you're saying in terms of the YA connection and and you know I know that there are some stuff that has been better written about her than others, but like I don't know like. Since day one, the character has been a big so what for me. I mean, I think one of the the ultimate ironies has always been for for Spider-Verse. It's, you know, Cindy Moon and Spider-Gwen were kind of introduced concurrently. And, you know, Marvel had already like teed up all of the new like offshoots for for Silk, expecting the character to be a hit. And they still went forward to that to a degree. But it really was Spider-Gwen that kind of took off like a rocket and 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 became you know, probably what Silk was supposed to be in terms of marketability for Marvel. Yeah, it, it just, uh, that's just always because, you know, I, I just felt Spider-Gwen was a better executed and written character. So it's not just, you know, let's put a female in a suit, you know, it's, it's, you gotta, you gotta write the character too. And I don't feel like that ever really got done well here um, with Silk. Do we want to do our scale for this one or do we, you have anything else you wanted to hit on here? I think this has to be a five, which is the most egregious retcon, because not only is it something I don't like, which is fine, you know, like I said, like people can like this great, but it also builds on the totem thing, right? Like she is just another part. So it's like whatever you feel about totems, Silk is then a further exploration of that idea and making that concrete. And probably one of the first signs that we saw Dan Slott going, no, we're going to take the totems 100% seriously. And it was the start of that journey. Although I, I never really understood why, considering we, we were doing Spider-Verse, just make Silk from another universe. I, I, I don't get it. But like, I think, it, you know, however you feel about totems, Silk ha- and her introduction has to be an extension on top of that. I'm right there with you. I mean, this is of of the retcons we've discussed tonight. This is definitely the most offensive to me, not just because of personal preference, but I just feel like, yeah, it's 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 impact and its execution. Yeah, I I really don't find this to be terribly redeemable. You know, I think there are many other ways you can get to Silk as a character without it having to be a major retcon of Amazing Fantasy 15. Does it change the way you read Amazing Fantasy 15? No, it doesn't because I just kind of when when things when things upset me to this degree, I just kind of pretend they don't exist. It's like chapter one, but with silk. <laughs> yeah, and, and it's kind of like off the page and not doesn't really deal with really any of the major characters from Amazing Fantasy fifteen except for the spider and the location. So it's the kind of thing I can read Amazing Fantasy fifteen and maybe in the back of my mind I'm thinking, is Cindy in the crowd? But it doesn't change motives or like the events of that book really significantly. So it's something I can easily forget. And I imagine as time goes on, Cindy will probably be forgotten like so many of the other spider characters that show up every once in a while, but really aren't taking up much headspace um, in, in the spider offices. Well, great, Mark, we're going to continue on to the second half of our discussion. But first uh, I wanted to talk about our spider slack. Yeah, hundreds of listeners like you, Dan, hang out in our community of Spider-Man fans on Slack. The amazing Spider-Slack community is absolutely free to join, and you can jump into active conversations with awesome people about collecting conventions, movies, new comics, old comics, and more. 
Mark, I hang out in the Slack all the time, and this week we've been talking about how they're making a Razorback toy. Now, listeners of Amazing Spider Talk will know I love the character of Razorback, good old Buford Hollis from uh, Spectacular Spider-Man, like two issues of Spectacular Spider-Man, and for some reason they decided to make a toy out of this character. They've got to be just appealing to me. Like, hello, Marvel Legends makers out there. If you're listening to the show, thank you so much for making a Razorback toy. I have been refreshing my Hasbro app on my phone. I'm not even a toy guy, but I just want a Razorback toy. But then, Mark, get this. They just announced today, and the Slack let me know about this, that you have to buy a whole package of five characters to get him. Marvel. If you just want my money specifically, like you're aiming a target at my wallet, like this is how you're going to get it. And I hate you for it, but I like you got me like, like you tricked me here. Like nothing's going to get in the way between me and my Buford Hollis. So damn you, Marvel is all I have to say. And thank you, Spider Slack, for making me aware of it. Mark, am I like, like, what does this sound like to you? The rantings of a mad person? Oh yeah, I mean this is this is more ranting and raving than I thought we were gonna you know thought we were gonna get in our uh, retcon episode. But you know, like more power to you, Dan. You know, viva la Razorback action figure. <laughs> I gotta have I gotta have him, especially if he has like yeah yeah. I, there's just so much I gotta do. So anyway, um, if you want to join me in my enragement about the Razorback action figure and the likely 150 bucks I'm going to put out for it. Come join us in the spider slack. There's a link in the description that will guide you there. You can sign in, get yourself a username, come in and say hi to everybody. It's, it's, it's Twitter and Reddit, but not toxic. And that's what we all need in our lives, I think. So uh, yeah, come join our amazing spider slack. Awesome, Dan. Well, well, speaking of not terribly toxic, the second half of the show, we're going to be talking <laughs> about uh, retcons of very little consequence. I mean, you know, I guess you, you could maybe clarify these as more like continuity errors, but we just wanted to note them anyway, because some of them are pretty funny. <laughs> yeah, and it's, um, the, it's the kind of thing where it's like Amazing Fantasy 15 is like the, you know, the bedrock that everything else rests on. And so when you change that in a minor way or like you mess up on it, it's like were people asleep at the wheel here? Like, you know, when you when you make a retcon to Amazing Fantasy 15, it's like you kind of got to go for broke, you know, like you're either going to make a change or you're not, because like that is the like like if you were to amend the Bible, like you better say Jesus came to America before the Europe, you know, like you, you better go all out, you know? Uh, so anyway, Mark, tell us about some of these and we'll kind of like go through these quickly. Yeah. Well, the first one, I, I forgot these comics existed until you dutifully reminded me while we were planning this episode. And it's amazing. Spider-Man volume four, number 1.4. This is from 2016. This is the, what is it called? Like grace or fall from grace or, or something like, and in this one, it's Peter and aunt may witnessed uncle Ben die in the hospital rather than at his home. This one's one of the dumbest ones. I, first of all, I think that this miniseries is really bad, like like exceptionally bad. And I remember I was reviewing it at the time, uh, you know, on our on our website, and just 
like was like, why did I sign up for this? You know, like they just rebooted Spider-Man after Superior and then decided like that this was the thing that they were going to promote up the chain. Man, like it was it was bad. But then it got like to this point where Peter and MJ watch Uncle Ben die in the hospital. And it was like, is anybody reading this except for me? Like even the people <laughs> making this comic, like how did this happen? Like, did, like did did the editors not read Amazing Fantasy fifteen? Uh, like to this day, like I know we give Nick Lowe a hard time, but like I don't know how you publish a Spider Man comic with this level of egregious error in it. That's my take on it. All right. Well, we have many other instances of retelling this story of Aunt May and Uncle Ben and their whereabouts on Amazing Fantasy 15. So the next one's from Amazing Spider-Man Volume 2, number 38. Another one from the JMS run. And that was Aunt May recalls that Uncle Ben left home to go for a walk where he was then killed after they had an argument. I mean, you know, I I, I guess it's possible. Uh, <laughs> you know, I, it, it, I don't know what it adds to the story, but... It happened, I guess. (laughs) Yeah, you know, on that note, Mark, we've also got Web Spinner's Tales of Spider-Man number 12 and Amazing Spider-Man Annual number 25, where uh, they both kind of repeat the same thing, which is that, no, Uncle Ben was not on a walk. In fact, he was laying on the stairs outside of the house, all bloodied up with bullet holes. And like some of the, the images, like especially in Web Spinner's, it's fairly graphic like the, the image of uncle Ben that you see there. And so Peter, like, you know, in amazing Fantasy 15, he kind of arrives at the house and the cop tells him, and then he kind of like runs upstairs here. Like we see him see the body, you know, in like full gruesome detail. Uh, and the ambulance comes and takes him away. And, you know, I guess that could, could have happened. Right. Cause we just kind of see uncle Ben on a stretcher. So like, it's not something I ever thought I wanted to see, but you know, it doesn't, it doesn't, it's not really refuted by much. Although amazing Spider-Man 200, you know, has him confronting the burglar inside the house. So, you know, I, I, I tend to think the inside the house is the correct version of this. Yeah. I mean, that, that does make sense. And then, you know, the last kind of wrinkle for at least Aunt May's whereabouts in that night was from spectacular Spider-Man number 189. And in this instance, Aunt May arrives at the Acme warehouse and sees Spider-Man next to the strung up burglar. And that's, uh, of course, where her fear of him originates. I don't quite get why May would be leaving the house. You know what I mean? <laughs> like, you know, her husband just died and I'm sure like there's cops and, and other legal stuff going on, plus her own grief. But, you know, I, I, I at least it explains where her, her fear comes from. But like, frankly, I feel like Amazing Spider-Man number one does a good enough job showing that because, you know, he's public enemy number one because of J. Jonah Jameson. So, I, you know, again, it's it's insignificant, but it seems like we're, 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 we're trying to create a story where one doesn't really need to exist here. Yeah. And on a similar note, Amazing Spider-Man 665, much later on in the timeline, there's like this scene where Aunt May like opens up to Peter about how she felt abandoned by Peter when he rushed off to find the burglar, of course she doesn't know that he rushed off to find the burglar, but like, you know, imagine, you know, your husband is murdered and your ostensibly your son, you know, leaves you alone and rushes out of the house that night. 
you know, I know some people don't love this story because it implies it's kind of sort of like guilt that Aunt May is laying on Peter. But I, I always thought like, you know, that's kind of right. You know, like if we're going to take this as it's seriously happening. Yeah, that is, you know, I don't know if it would be really kind of Aunt May to like lay that on Peter because Peter was obviously going through something too. But I can understand her kind of feeling that way. So that one to me is less of a wreck kind of more than it is kind of like a further examination of that moment. But like, it's interesting in how it kind of fits with all these other ones. All right. So the the next couple of ones we're going to talk about, I guess, kind of relate to, you know, Peter as both a, 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 a what is it, a, a machinist and a, and a seamstress. I don't know. Uh, <laughs> it's it's amazing. Spider-Man number negative one, which is, you know, only only from uh, the 90s. Do you have this comic, by the way, Dan? Or do, do we count this as the run? You or know, what? I actually don't have this comic. I was going to ask you if you felt like it counted. Um, you know, it's one of the ones that I forget. <laughs> I don't have it. You don't have it. It doesn't count. All right. So Perfect. until I get it, then it counts. Uh, <laughs> Ordering it tonight. Right. Yeah. But but more importantly, in the, the, the retcon here is that it says that Peter created his web shooters before getting his powers. I mean, now I'm, I'm, I'm just going to interject right away, Dan, that I to this day, as much as I love the idea of Peter the brainiac creating his web shooters. I mean, like we really don't, I mean, he's a chemist. I, 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 I can see him creating the web fluid, but the actual web shooters has always been a problematic part of me, even of the, of the Lee Dicko origin. I just want to throw that out there. I don't know if I'm, I'm, I'm picking nits here. No, that's fine. It's a, it's a bizarre thing. And I, I, you know, I like smart Peter. I don't know that I ever needed him to attain genius level, like that we kind of got in the early slot run. Although I like those stories a lot. Yeah, it is a bit weird. Like, is this is this kid like a master welder? You know, Amazing Spider-Man negative one gets in, gets into it. And I don't really know that the timing really matters all that much, you know, like whether it was before or after the powers. But it does make sense, more sense after the powers that he would be like, oh, like webs. That, that's like my new powers I have. So um, the next one up is Spectacular Spider-Man number 60. What What's special about this one, Mark? So apparently, and I, I didn't remember this one until you brought it up, Peter didn't create his costume from scratch. Instead, he modified a pair of dance skins to make his costume. I mean, again, similar to the web shooters, I just don't understand where Peter got these like seam, seamstress skills from, but he did it. He, I, I don't know. Like, I, does it matter? No, but it's also like, okay, this is. I, I guess it makes sense that he kind of had a head start with these skins. I, I, I don't know. It just all seems kind of weird to me. Yeah, I think Ultimate Spider-Man handles it a lot better where it's like the, you know, the the Max version there kind of gives him a costume for their show. That always made more sense to me than him sewing something up. But, you know, in in the regular timeline, that is how it goes. The next one is kind of a fun one. There are two Amazing Fantasy 15s. You know, there is Amazing Fantasy 15, we all know, but then there's a volume two of Amazing Fantasy. You know, a lot of those issues were uh, based around the character of Aranya. Now she's Spider-Girl in, in, the, in the main universe, and she just came back for the Edge of Spider-Verse volume two comic. Um, but Am- Amazing Fantasy volume two, number 15, has like an interesting bit that's about the guy from the Steve Ditko alternate cover for Amazing Fantasy 15. Now, those who don't know, like the, the the cover of Amazing Fantasy 15 is done by Jack Kirby, but there was an alternate cover, which, you know, Steve Ditko drew, 
where Spider-Man is also swinging while carrying someone under his arm. And there's a guy kind of leaning out of a window uh, in that kind of commenting on him. In this comic, we learn that that guy's name is Steve. And while he was looking out the window and shouting about Spider-Man, he fell out of the window to get a look at Spider-Man while Spider-Man was swinging by on the way to his first show. So it's got retcon of the alternate cover of Amazing Fantasy 15. <laughs> The, the the next one, this is kind of, I don't want to say it's a favorite retcon of mine, but like kind of in terms of new wrinkles added to the story, I, 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 I'm, I admittedly am greatly amused by this. You know, in, in the new Avengers series by Brian Michael Bendis, we established that uh, Jessica Jones, a, you know, a.k.a. <laughs> a.k.a. The, 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 the detective from the from the Max comic series was a classmate of Peter's during uh, at Midtown High. And then in Alias number 22, which was Jessica Jones's uh, solo series, we, we learned that not only was she at Midtown High, but she was about to ask Peter out on a date before the spider bit him. So, uh, you know, like. Yeah, talk about talk about fate interfering again, right? <laughs> yeah, she's about to bite to ask out Peter, and then when he got bit, she decided, well, this Cindy Moon character is really attractive. Let me ask her out, and then she got bit, and like you know, her you know, poor poor Jessica Jones's day was just ruined by all these spider and she bites. Got, and then she got into a car accident and became coma girl. So there you perfect, go. <laughs> perfect. Perfect. Okay. Um, the next one, and people might be asking like, why aren't we talking about this? And we have talked about this before. It's Spider-Man chapter one, which is probably like the mother load of all retcons of amazing fantasy 15. But, um, and for those who don't know, chapter one was this John Byrne led story in the late nineties that like kind of was a proto ultimate Spider-Man that looked to reinvent amazing fantasy 15 and Spider-Man's early days and kind of like tie all the villains in with Spider-Man. And it just made all these kind of changes that like were not like kind of reflected in the amazing Spider-Man comics at the time but then kind of quickly rejected later on. So like the reason we don't count this one really on our main list is it's not Canon at the present moment. Like it was rejected pretty quickly. And we talk about that in greater detail in season one of our, our seasonal content on this show. And I don't really love chapter one. It's weird because like some of the changes from it are still reflected in some of the amazing Spider-Man comics of that period, like the Howard Mackey run. There's still kind of like a vestigial, you know, pieces of chapter one that if you only read amazing Spider-Man, you'll see some of the chapter one's impacts in there, but it's largely forgotten and ignored. And, and it was the retcon was retconned. I was, if it did like end up sticking and we had to give a grade to it, I would give it a five out of five for offensiveness. I just don't like even, I mean, some of it is not even that significant in terms of impact, but like, I just don't like the general premise of John Byrne. Like I'm going to rewrite amazing fantasy 15 and this one's going to count. You know what I mean? Like it just, the the whole, the whole thing rubs me the wrong way. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, at the end of this, like some of these work, some of them don't, I think it's, you know, the, the ones you remember are the ones that we like, you know, and, and all of these retcons will probably be in a state of flux. We, anybody could change them back at any moment, you know, but amazing fantasy 15, I think remains largely unmarred by most of these retcons, you know, especially as, as you read it. But like 
nerdy nitpickers like ourselves, it exists and the, these things exist in the back of our minds. And we go like, well, wait a minute. Like what, what's the real story here? So I don't know. Do you have any final thoughts as we wrap up here, Mark? I don't know. I think one of the constants in comic books is change. We've talked about that before. I don't mind change. I don't, I don't get too irritated by retcons. I, 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 I do sometimes, and we talked about this a lot during the, the Nick Spencer run. I sometimes do get irritated by retcons that nobody asked for. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, like I want, I, I, I want you, if, if you're going to retcon something, I need you to do it in a way that really advances the story. And, and, you know, we get some instances of that throughout this episode. Um, but we also get a lot of them where it really doesn't, it's just kind of done for the sake of doing it. And, and, you know, maybe, it's because we like it or don't like it that makes it forgettable or memorable. But I, I, I really do think it's it's those that have truly advanced the story in a significant way that that make it memorable. I mean, not many people like one more day, but it's probably one of the most significant records of all time. <laughs> so, yeah. Yeah. So mission accomplished, whether you like it or not. And and, you know, I think you could say the same for like Spider Totem and and Cindy Moon and and even the, the Great Power. I think all three of those have had. Uh, long re- long impacts on Spider-Man for better or for worse. I really do think as fans, we have to kind of learn to roll with it and, you know, we can voice our opinions, but expecting things to just constantly be revered as gospel is not going to get you far. I think if you're a fan of serial continuity, that's been going on for 60 years. So that's my, that's my final two cents. Well, I mean, it's also like amazing fantasy 15 is just like thing. Everybody wants to like, touch right you're given a a chance to write in this world like like at some point like it's a shiny object that's there and really your number one job i think should be to resist touching it you know like as a steward of this character like at least that's what i would ask now you know i could uh, you know i'll probably eat a shoe saying that because someone will do something brilliant that i never thought of and i'm totally accepting you know of um, or did something before I was even a born that I accept as we discussed today. But I also think it's kind of the editor's job is to like, you know, it's like, it's the same thing as like someone that comes to an editor and says, I want to resurrect uncle Ben, you know, your job as the editor should be to say, no, we're not doing that story. I don't care how good your pitch is. That's just not a story we need to do. Now I say that someone's going to do it. Eventually. I assume that wall is going to get broken down, but like, if I were in that position, my job I feel would be to like safeguard Amazing Fantasy 15 as much as possible. You know, I think for the most part, it remains pretty untouched. Yeah. Although, could you imagine like someone saying no to Ed Brubaker that I'm going to bring back Bucky? <laughs> yeah, right. Exactly. So, you know, uh, I, I, I could very well be wrong about about that. But one thing I'm not wrong about is how much we appreciate all of our fans and supporters. If you do find the show entertaining and valuable, you know, please consider supporting us. Mark and I put a lot of hard work into producing this show almost for 10 years now. And and part of supporting us means just recommending Amazing Spider Talk to a friend. You wouldn't believe how many people, or maybe you would, how many people read Amazing Spider-Man and don't even know that we exist and would probably love our show. So, you know, we'd love it if you could help spread the word about us. But if you want to go one step further, uh, one of the things you can do is become a member of our Patreon. 
Yeah, we can only bring you this content with the support of our Patreon members, and we owe the show's success to every single one of them. We are constantly making exclusive content for our members, including this upcoming week when our Patreon members will hear Alan and I talk about Amazing Spider-Man Volume 6, Number 8, because Dan, you are still out on paternity leave, despite what the the rumors on this show would say. Yeah, no, this uh, this is just my LMD that I'm having uh, come fill in for me today. So yeah, you know, this LMD was wasn't you know cheap. It was very expensive. So why not take three dollars and ninety nine cents, the price of a new comic, and you can put it towards a month subscription to support the show and start receiving our Patreon content. If you value this show and its reviews of Amazing Spider-Man as much as you enjoy the comics, you know, we're giving you an hour-long entertainment, hopefully, about the comics you adore. Like, why not put some of that money to help us, you know, continue doing it? And then you'll get all of our Patreon-exclusive review podcasts of the new issues of Amazing Spider-Man the very same week that the comics are released instead of waiting for them to arrive on our public podcast feed. You might be annoyed by that. Why do I have to wait? Why are they so far behind? Actually, we're not. We're right on the on schedule. So it's just on our Patreon because it allows us to get the show up and going and, and ex- afford expensive LMD robots. And for even more expensive LMD robots, if you contribute $10 a month, you gain access to exclusive artwork from famous Spider-Man artists commissioned exclusively for our members. Uh, we just got news that Barry Kitson is going to be finishing up that artwork all the way back from season three of our show. Is that the Kevin Smith Black Cat season? I don't remember. But it features the it features the death of Gwen Stacy. Uh, we also got Juan Ferreira doing a Spider-Man and Daredevil team-up piece for us. And also Michael Fife, who will be doing a Spider-Man and Venom commission. Uh, also, don't forget, we have every episode, a new episode-specific desktop background created for us by artist Nick Cagnetti for our patrons to enjoy. And boy, does Nick knock it out of the park when he does that for us. Yeah, and Nick's even got a new book coming out from Oni Press himself called uh, Pink Lemonade. So if you like Nick's artwork, go check out that book. It should be on the shelf soon. You can ask your you know, a local comic book store to, to pull that issue for you. Pink Lemonade, number one. I've read it. It's awesome. So if you like Nick's stuff on our show, go check out his new comic. But if you do want to support us uh, and it's just not working out for you financially, we get it, you know, like it's a hard time for everybody as it is for us too. So we do appreciate anyone who just listens to the show and shares it with their friends. But again, if you do have the means, please join our Patreon to support the continued existence of our show. There should be a link in the description of this episode that will guide you through the whole process. And again, we can't end this segment without thanking all the members who already make this show possible. But it's that time, Dan. Time for all good things to come to an end. So we want to say thank you to you, the listeners and viewers, for tuning in to this episode of The Amazing Spider Talk. Yeah, this episode was edited by Rick Coast. Our artwork comes handcrafted by artists Ron Friend, Sal Buscema, Ray Sumzer, and Nick Cagnetti. Our theme songs were produced by Rylan Bojack and spider Match. Plus, our introduction animation and musical stinger comes from Josh Sutton. This was a lot of fun, Dan, but what do we got coming up in our next episode? Well, Mark, I'm really excited about this one. This is a bit of a special announcement. Um, Our next and final Beyond Amazing episode will close out with a page-by-page discussion and analysis 
of Amazing Fantasy 15, just like we did with Ron Friends on the Kid Who Collects Spider-Man episode. But Mark, you know, that would be exciting if it was just you and I doing it. But we have a special guest coming to join us. Who's going to be joining us to talk about Amazing Fantasy 15? Yeah, it's, it's going to be none other than uh, Marvel editor Tom Brevoort. I mean, we've had Tom on before. I don't think there's anyone who knows his Marvel history more than Tom. And I'm just looking forward to him bringing some great insights. I mean, he's got a book coming out that he did a forward for uh, about Amazing Fantasy 15 and Amazing Spider-Man number one. So, uh, you know, getting his insights here, I think, are going to be awesome. Yeah, I'm so excited, one, for that book, and two, for Tom to come on the show. I hope to learn a lot. You know, that's kind of the the reason we do this. I bet he's going to have a ton of insight that, you know, you and I couldn't possibly offer. That's going to be really exciting. But, Mark, until next time, we have to leave everyone with our motto, the very thing that forms the backbone of our show. So, Mark, until I'm murdered in my house, then on my porch, and then die a lingering death in the hospital... What's our motto? That's a lot of depth, Dan. Our motto, of course, is with great podcasts, there must also come the amazing spider talk. Don't, don't miss the next installment.